Chapter thirty two of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter thirty two. Conclusion. Mr. Bernard Langdon had no sooner taken his degree than, in accordance with the advice of one of his teachers, whom he frequently consulted, he took an office in the heart of the city where he had studied. He had thought of beginning in a suburb or some remoter district of the city proper. No, said his teacher, to wit myself, don't do any such thing. You are made for the best kind of practice. Don't hamper yourself with an outside constituency, such as belongs to a practitioner of the second class. When a fellow like you chooses his beat, he must look ahead a little. Take care of all the poor that apply to you, but leave the half-pay classes to a different style of doctor, the people who spend one half their time in taking care of their patients, and the other half in squeezing out their money. Go for the swell fronts and self-exposure houses. The folks inside are just as good as other people, and the pleasantest, on the whole, to take care of. They must have somebody, and they like a gentleman best. Don't throw yourself away. You have a good presence and pleasing manners. You wear white linen by inherited instinct. You can pronounce the word view. You have all the elements of success. Go and take it. Be polite and generous, but don't undervalue yourself. You will be useful at any rate. You may just as well be happy while you are about it. The highest social class furnishes incomparably the best patients, taking them by and large. Besides, when they won't get well and bore you to death, you can send them off to travel. Mind me now and take the tops of your sparrow grass. Somebody must have them. Why shouldn't you? If you don't take your chance, you'll get the butt-ends as a matter of course. Mr. Bernard talked like a young man full of noble sentiments. He wanted to be useful to his fellow-beings. Their social differences were nothing to him. He would never court the rich. He would go where he was called. He would rather save the life of a poor mother of a family than that of half a dozen old gouty millionaires whose heirs had been yawning and stretching these ten years to get rid of them. "'Generous emotions!' I exclaimed. "'Cherish em. Cling to em till you are fifty, till you are seventy, till you are ninety. But do, as I tell you, strike for the best circle of practice, and you'll be sure to get it.' Mr. Langdon did as I told him, took a genteel office, furnished it neatly, dressed with a certain elegance, soon made a pleasant circle of acquaintances, and began to work his way into the right kind of business. I missed him, however, for some days, not long after he had opened his office. On his return, he told me he had been up at Rockland, by special invitation, to attend the wedding of Mr. Dudley Venner and Miss Helen Darley. He gave me a full account of the ceremony, which I regret that I cannot relate in full. Helen looked like an angel. That, I am sure, was one of his expressions. As for her dress, I should like to give the details, but am afraid of committing blunders, as men always do, when they undertake to describe such matters. White dress, anyhow, 
that i am sure of with orange flowers and the most wonderful lace veil that has ever been seen or heard of the reverend dr honeywood performed the ceremony of course the good people seemed to have forgotten they ever had had any other minister except deacon shearer and his set of malcontents who were doing a dull business in the meeting-house lately occupied by the reverend mr fairweather who was at the wedding everybody pretty much they wanted to keep it quiet but it was of no use married at church front pews old dr kittredge and all the mansion-house people and distinguished strangers colonel sprowl and family including matilda's young gentleman a graduate of one of the freshwater colleges mrs pickens late widow rowens and husband deacon soper and numerous parishioners a little nearer the door abel the doctor's man and elbridge who drove them to church in the family coach father fairweather as they all call him now came in late with father mcshane and silas peckham oh silas had left the school and rockland cut up altogether too badly in the examination instituted by the trustees had removed over to tamarack and thought of renting a large house and farming the town poor some time after this as i was walking with a young friend along by the swell fronts and south exposures whom should i see but mr bernard langdon looking remarkably happy and keeping step by the side of a very handsome and singularly well-dressed young lady he bowed and lifted his hat as we passed who is that pretty girl my young doctor has got there i said to my companion who is that he answered you don't know why that is neither more nor less than miss letitia forrester daughter of of why the great banking firm you know billions brothers and forrester got acquainted with her in the country they say there's a story that they're engaged or like to be if the firm consents oh i said i did not like the look of it in the least too young too young has not taken any position yet no right to ask for the hand of billions brothers and company's daughter besides it will spoil him for practice if he marries a rich girl before he has formed habits of work i looked in at his office the other day a box of white kids was lying open on the table a three-cornered note directed in a very delicate lady's hand was distinguishable among a heap of papers i was just going to call him to account for his proceedings when he pushed the three-cornered note aside and took up a letter with a great corporation seal upon it he had received the offer of a professor's chair in an ancient and distinguished institution pretty well for three-and-twenty my boy i said i suppose you'll think you must be married one of these days if you accept this office mr langdon blushed there had been stories about him he knew his name had been mentioned in connection with that of a very charming young lady the current reports were not true he had met this young lady and been much pleased with her in the country at the house of her grandfather the rev dr honeywood you remember miss letitia forrester whom i have mentioned repeatedly on coming to town he found his country acquaintance in a social position which seemed to discourage his continued intimacy he had discovered however that he was a not unwelcome visitor and had kept up friendly relations with her but there was no truth in the current reports none at all 
Some months had passed after this visit when I happened one evening to stroll into a box in one of the principal theatres of the city. A small party sat on the seats before me, a middle-aged gentleman and his lady in front, and directly behind them my young doctor and the same very handsome young lady I had seen him walking with on the sidewalk before the swell fronts and south exposures. As Professor Langdon seemed to be very much taken up with his companion, and both of them looked as if they were enjoying themselves, I determined not to make my presence known to my young friend, and to withdraw quietly after feasting my eyes with the sight of them for a few minutes. It looks as if something might come of it, I said to myself. At that moment the young lady lifted her arm accidentally, in such a way that the light fell upon the clasp of a chain that encircled her wrist. My eyes filled with tears as I read upon the clasp, in sharp-cut italic letters, E. V. They were tears at once of sad remembrance and of joyous anticipation, for the ornament on which I looked was the double pledge of a dead sorrow and a living affection. It was the golden bracelet, the parting gift of Elsie Venner. End of chapter 32 End of Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes